0: chapter 13 of william again by rick Crompton. this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 13 william's helping hand william was on his way to visit his new friend he whistled as he went his lips pursed determinedly his brows drawn into a scowl of absorption his untidy hair standing like a somewhat unsaintly halo round his head When William whistled he could be heard a long way off. It was an affair of great effort and concentration. It was a sound before which strong men quailed. William's new friend heard the sound long before William had turned the corner that led to his house. He put his hand to his head and groaned. William's new friend was Vivian Strange, the distinguished poet and journalist vivian strange had taken a furnished house in the village in order to enjoy the calm and quiet which were so essential to his literary calling instead of calm and quiet he had found william that is william had adopted him William was attracted to Vivian Strange because, although Vivian Strange belonged to the tyrant race of the grown-ups, he had never yet told William to wipe his boots or go home at once or not to speak till he was spoken to. This touched William deeply. He was not used to it. He imagined that it must hide a lasting affection for him on the part of Strange. As a matter of fact, it did no such thing the attitude of vivian strange to william may be compared to that of a timid fawn before a lion or a rabbit before a snake he was not used to the human boy he had never known one before at close quarters when he gently hinted to william that he must be missed at home william kindly intimated that they didn't mind a bit and he could stay a good long time yet such mild sarcasm as strange could produce had the same effect on william as water on the back of the proverbial duck william was not used to hints william was not used either to houses where he could sit in the best chairs and talk to his heart's content and eat cake unrestrained he made the most of it he liked vivian strange And Vivian told himself bitterly every night that his genius was being ruined, his naturally sweet temper embittered, his constitution undermined by a creature less than half his own size, whom he might almost kill with one hand. He often dreamed of William. He often recalled hard things he had read or heard about the human boy, and decided that they were all true. Yet when he met William's mother, and William's mother said, "'I do hope that William isn't a nuisance to you,' he flushed, and said hastily, "'Oh, no, not at all. I like it.' And William's mother went placidly on her way, and remarked later to an incredulous family circle, "'There must be something about William for a brilliant literary man like Mr. Strange to take pleasure in his company.' thereupon the family raised incredulous eyebrows on the previous day william had paid three visits to his new friend the first visit had nipped in the bud a very promising poem written in an uncommon meter william entered playing on his mouth organ a tune that he had learnt not quite correctly he admitted that morning During the third repetition of the tune, Vivian Strange began to see red, but his curse of politeness still clung to him. "'Hadn't you better let them hear that at home?' he said desperately. William wiped his mouth politely. "'Oh, no,' he said. "'I don't mind going on a bit longer. Sides, my family's not as fond of music as what you are.' When William had gone, Strange returned to the poem, but inspiration had fled after lunch he began a strikingly original essay on nature the divine then william called again this time he proudly brought a live mouse and a dead hedgehog to show his friend he also carried uh, with difficulty a jar full of muddy water containing squirming water creatures of repellent appearance and sinister expressions vivian strange pricked his finger on the dead hedgehog and was bitten by the mouse on retiring precipitately from the mouse he knocked over the jar of water which william had thoughtfully placed on the edge of the bureau holding his bitten finger in his mouth he watched the water as it dripped partly onto the carpet partly upon a new satin cushion He also watched his blotting paper and pens and stamps and literary masterpieces floating in mud amongst wriggling nightmare creatures. He raised his hand to his head. This, he said, is the last straw. William, who was on his knees, rescuing as many of the creatures as he could, raised a face purple with effort. "'It's all right,' he said pleasantly. "'Don't you worry about it. I don't mind.' honest i don't i can get some more honest i can And anyway some's not dead you didn't really get a proper look at em did you i'll get some more to-morrow and you can have em to keep but don't you worry about dropping em i don't mind half an hour later his face pale and set vivian took up his half-written essay nature the divine there was a muddy pool through the middle of it and a tadpole's corpse reposed peacefully in one corner with averted eyes vivian dropped it into the fire as he lay wakeful through the night he searched in his mind for some form of literature that would resist the blighting effects of his young friend's frequent and devastating visits with a lightning flash of inspiration came the answer a sensational story vivian had never before lowered his genius to writing a sensational story but he felt that the time had come some story that would carry itself along of its own momentum that even a visit from william would not be able to turn from its course he was deep in the throes of it the next afternoon when the shrill sound of william's distant whistle reached him william entered cheerfully hello he said you writin the victim raised his face from his hands i was he said pointedly i thought you was said william i saw you through the window with your head in your hands like as if you couldn't think what to write next so i know you'd be glad to see me as he spoke his rare smile overspread his freckled face the young man was dumb i used to write a bit myself went on william modestly and often i can't think what to write next i remember once i wrote an awfully good tale about a man who was a pirate and was run under by a dastardly cannibal round and round a desert island and then the dastardly cannibal caught him and was just going to cook him when some friends of the dastardly cannibal came up and while the dastardly cannibal was saying good afternoon to them the pirate got up a tree and waved his pocket-handkerchief to another pilot what was on the sea as a sign that he was in deadly danger william stopped yes said his unfortunate hearer in a dull voice william plunged on and the dastardly cannibal saw down the tree but the other pirate came and they escaped and the proud and beautiful daughter of the dastardly cannibal escaped with them she wasn't dastardly like what her father was she didn't like eatin human folks she didn't like the taste so she was glad to get to a country where they didn't do it and they was married and she was the queen of the pirates and he was the king of the pirates and she was proud and beautiful and said a want when anyone tried to cheek her just like a real queen is your tale anything like that no groaned mr strange "'Well,' said William, comfortably ensconced in an armchair, "'now I've told you my tale, you order, tell me yours. "'I say, is there any of that cake left, "'what you so kindly gave me some of yesterday?' The young man waved a limp hand towards the sideboard cupboard. William took a large slice of plum cake and returned to his chair. "'I always get so's I must have something to eat about this time, don't you?' he said pleasantly i can eat most times but sometimes i feel so i must eat well go on and tell me about your tale now i've told you about mine and i'll help you you know about what to write next i don't want you to said the young man desperately oh it's no bother said william kindly don't you think about that i want to help you you gave me big bits of cake to-day and yesterday and i want to help you as i broke myself and i know what it's like and don't worry about knocking over my water things i've got a friend who's promised to catch some more to-morrow and we'll bring em along soon as we've gotten em that was jolly good cake the young man automatically waved a hand towards the cupboard again thanks i don't mind a bit more it's jolly good cake now tell me about your tale, so's i can help what's it about it's it's just about a man said mr strange feebly what sort of a man said william with his mouth full of cake just a man he's going home one night going home from where demanded william that doesn't come into the story said the young man irritably he's just going home "'All right,' said William soothingly. "'Only if he was going home, he must have been somewhere, "'and I just wondered where he'd been to be coming home from.' "'Well, as he's coming home, he gets a message that a girl—a girl—' The young man hesitated. "'The girl—what he's in love with?' supplied William earnestly. Uh, "'Yes,' said the young man. "'He gets a message that she's in danger, and he must go to her at once. "'So he follows the man, you see.' Which follows which? Said William judicially. The man the story begins with the one what you didn't know where he was going home from. Yes, that. Well, he follows the man that tells him the girl's in danger. And really, the man, if you don't call him names, said William, I can't tell which is which. Let's call the man what you don't know where he was coming home from Alberto. That's a good tale name. And the one what says that the girl what Alberto's in love with in deadly danger rudolfo they all end with o in a book i've been reading it sounds fine well then rudolfo tells alberto that the girl what alberto's in love with is in deadly danger i think that's a jolly good tale but i think that alberto ought to have a secret treasure somewhere and let's have another man in called archibaldo i've got a knuckle called archibald what wants the secret treasure and he's got her trail of dynamite laid to right under alberto's bed to blow him up in the night when he's asleep and let's have another girl in called rosa what rudolfo's in love with a proud and beautiful maiden you know and rudolfo gets hold of her and she yells out avant unhand me varlet "'Well, you finish yours first, and we'll put in my bit afterwards. "'You just got to Alberto coming home from somewhere, "'you didn't know where, and following Rudolfo. "'What comes next?' "'Vivian Strange stared in front of him. "'He was once more the rabbit and William the snake. "'Some power in William's earnest, freckled countenance "'compelled him to proceed. "'The uh, second man was really a Secret Service agent.' what's that inquired william disapprovingly oh it's a a kind of glorified policeman i suppose much better have him a pirate or a red engine said william but never mind go on well he wants to get hold of some letters that er uh, alberto has and leads him to a lonely house and locks him up there and says he'll keep them there till he gives them up "'Hurlin' vile threats?' said William, his face alight with earnestness. "'Let him say it hurlin' vile threats and precations and insults in his teeth. "'What happens next?' "'I don't know,' said the young man. "'That's as far as I got. "'I can't get on with it. "'I can't think what he'd say or do next.' William drew his brows together in deep thought. "'I should think Alberto oughter say.' ha villain never shalt thou worst me or something like that people don't talk like that in real life oh real life said william scornfully i thought we was talking about books don't you think your friends want you to play with them said mr strange with emphasis don't you think you've left them for quite long enough william arose and brushed the cake crumbs from his coat to the carpet "'Perhaps I'd better be going,' he agreed. "'But I'll be thinking over what comes next. "'You say you want it real life and not books. "'I think you are to have more people in it. "'Can't you have them all on a desert island "'and make Rudolfo get eaten by cannibals "'in mistake for Alberto?' "'Oh, well, just as you like, of course. "'I'll bring you my tales to read one day "'and I'll bring you some water things tomorrow. "'Did you know tadpoles ate tadpoles?' Talk about cannibals. I say, that's a jolly fine penknife. Vivian Strange, whose proud spirit was broken, handed him the knife with a despairing gesture. Take it, he moaned. Take it, and go. William was touched. Oh, no, he said. I'd better not take such a jolly fine penknife as that. You're sure to be wanting it again. But but i'll borrow it for a bit if you don't mind i'll bring it back when i bring the water animals i say it's jolly kind of you well good-bye william closed the door behind him the sudden peace and silence of the room seemed too strange too blissful to be real but the door opened and william's tousled head and earnest face appeared again i say he said how about having a burglar in and a detective after him you know and mysterious signs and clues and bloodhounds as well as the other people not well it's your tale so you just do it how you like i'll see you again soon well good-bye william disappeared and the front door opened and shut with anxious eyes, Vivian Strange watched through the window for William's youthful form to appear in the drive leading to the gate. It did not do so. Instead, the familiar untidy head appeared once more round the door. "'I say,' he said, "'I was just trying to remember. Did I have three pieces of cake in here, or only two? "'Oh, thanks. I say it's jolly kind of you.' "'Take it all,' said Mr. Strange. "'And go!' William was still more touched. "'Oh, no,' he said as he opened the cupboard. "'I won't take it all. Not just now. I'll take one more piece now, and I'll come round for another piece later on. It gets so messed up carrying it about in your pocket. Cake does. I've tried it. Gets all mixed up with marbles and bits of clay and string and things. It doesn't spoil the taste, but it wastes it getting it all crumbly. Well, goodbye.' once more the front door opened and shut once more there was silence and peace vivian strange with a deep sigh stretched out for his pen then an expression of wild despair came over his face the well-known footsteps sounded in the hall again and the door opened i nearly went away said william affectionately without showing you my new whistle i've been practising and practising so's to show it to you this afternoon and i nearly forgot and i'd have had to come all the way back this is it he placed two fingers in the corners of his mouth and emitted a siren-like sound that caused his friend to leap suddenly into the air in terror and surprise william smiled with pride and friendliness i knew you'd like it he said my family doesn't care for it at home but they don't care for any whistles they don't really like music not like you do well good-bye william walked along the road humming happily to himself his humming was if possible more dreadful than his whistling william only hummed when he was happy he enjoyed the sound of his humming in this he was absolutely unique he was extremely happy to-day. His heart warmed at the thought of his friend's kindness, the confidential literary chat, the cake, the penknife. He took out the knife and looked at it. His heart swelled with pride and pleasure. A knife like that, and he'd been ready to give it, give it, and it was jolly decent of him. William had no other friend in the whole world who would have thought of lending him a knife like that much less giving it. William's sense of gratitude was not easily stirred, but it was stirred this afternoon. When stirred, it demanded immediate and practical expression. He must do something for his friend. Now, at once. But what? He could get him the water things, of course, but that wasn't enough. What did Mr. Strange really want? Suddenly, William's sombre countenance lit up, He'd wanted to know what Alberto would have said and done in real life. He should know. Mr. Porter was walking home. Mr. Porter was an eminently respectable gentleman who lived a quiet, hard-working life divided between an eminently respectable office and an eminently respectable home. Mr. Porter was on his way home from the station, carrying his attache-case in his hand as he had done for the last thirty years. In his mind was a pleasurable anticipation of a warm fire, comfortable bedroom slippers, a well-cooked dinner, a glass of good wine, an excellent cigar, and the evening paper. Mr. Porter had walked home with this pleasurable anticipation in his mind for the last thirty years, and it had always been fulfilled. There was a rosy glow over all his thoughts. He hardly noticed the small boy with the freckled, scowling countenance till he actually addressed him. "'The lady, what you're in love with,' said the boy to him suddenly, in an expressionless tone, "'is in deadly danger, and says you're to go to her at once.' Mr. Porter stopped short and peered through the dusk. He felt a little frightened. "'The lady what?' he repeated, then, uh, "'Would you mind saying it again?' William didn't mind. "'The lady what you're in love with,' he said clearly and distinctly, "'is in deadly danger, and you're to go to her at once.' "'The lady what?' began Mr. Porter again. "'What a curious expression. Do uh, you—do you mean my wife?' i suppose so said william guardedly Uh, did she tell you to say that yes was she a tall lady yes said william taking the line of least resistance with a mole on her left cheek yes gray hair yes most curious said mr porter that's certainly my wife what did you say she said the lady what you're in love with said william monotonously is in deadly danger and says you're to go to her at once but where is she she said you was to follow me most curious said mr porter uncertainly most curious well uh, i suppose i'd better uh, one never knows is it far william's eye gleamed with victory oh no he said soothingly not far but mr porter's heart sank the rosy vision of the warm fire the comfortable bedroom slippers well-cooked dinner glass of wine cigar evening paper seemed to have retreated to an incalculable distance be as quick as you can he said irritably i can't stand here all night catching my death of cold how do i know it's not some cock and bull story hurry up hurry up silently and happily william led the way Silently and miserably, Mr. Porter followed. Mr. Porter disliked above all things departing a hair's breadth from his usual routine. What was it all about, anyway? What was Mary thinking of, sending that curious message? Who was this strange boy? His self-pity and righteous indignation increased at every step. Down the street, round a corner, in at a side gate, past a house, "'Into a back garden. What the—' The strange boy was holding open the door of a kind of outhouse. "'She said particular you was to go in here,' said the boy simply. "'What the—' Blazed Mr. Porter. What the—' He sputtered again. The boy looked at him dispassionately. "'She said particular you was to go in here. Into a—' Into a dirty, empty coal shed. What the—' Mr. Porter stepped into the outhouse and flashed his electric torch around it. IN THAT SECOND HE SATISFIED HIMSELF THAT THE SHED WAS EMPTY. IN THAT SECOND ALSO THE DOOR BANGED TO BEHIND HIM, AND A KEY WAS TURNED IN THE LOCK. Here, cried Mr. Porter angrily. "'Where the—' There was no answer. Mr. Porter banged ferociously on the door. "'Open the door, you young villain!' he shouted. There was no answer. Mr. Porter kicked the door, and shook the door, and rattled the door, and cursed the door the door remained immovable and only the silence answered him having recourse once more to his electric torch he discovered a small window high up in the back of the shed and beneath it a pile of coal mr porter determined to reach the window over the coal he climbed the coal and slipped in the coal and waded in the coal and rolled in the coal and wallowed in the coal and lost his collar in the coal finally he let fly a torrent of language whose eloquence and variety and emphasis and richness surprised even himself mr porter an hour ago would have believed himself incapable of such language then panting covered with coal-dust his collar gone his coat torn he surveyed the scene of his imprisonment and there came to him a vision of a warm fire, comfortable bedroom slippers, a well-cooked dinner, a glass of wine, a good cigar, and the evening paper. In sudden frenzy he flung himself bodily upon the door. Vivian Strange had given up all attempt to write. He was sitting in the armchair by the fire, reading poetry to soothe his nerves. His nerves were very much upset. He kept imagining that he heard strange noises, bangs and shouts, and once he shuddered, imagining that he heard William's whistle. He decided to go back to town as soon as possible. The much-vaunted peace of the countryside was a fiction. The country was not peaceful. It contained William, and William's whistle, and William's water creatures, and William's conversations there was more peace in the middle of piccadilly without william than there was in the country with william the door opened suddenly and william appeared there was on his face a look of conscious pride as of one who has something attempted something done but is prepared to be quite modest about it "'You can go and hear what he says and does in real life,' he said. "'He's saying and doing it now in the coal-shed. "'I've been listening for ever so long.' Mr. Strange rose wildly. "'But,' he began, the curious sounds increased. They were real, not a delusion of his overwrought nerves, as he had supposed. "'Where?' he said still more wildly in the coal shed said william impatiently hurry up or he'll be getting tired and stopping take some paper and then you can copy down some of the things he says in real life i told you i was right there came a sudden crashing and rending of wood the sound of angry steps on the gravel and in front of the house appeared a nightmare figure black gesticulating ragged collarless hatless it was the eminently respectable mr porter police and to pay for this and scoundrel were among the words that reached the bewildered mr strange through the window then shaking its fist the figure disappeared into the dusk there said william you're too late he's got out he broke the door down and got out anyway you know now what he does in real life he breaks the door down and gets out and i can remember lots of the things he said i listened quite a long time i'll take another piece of that cake now if you don't mind you said i could oh thanks awfully i took a lot of trouble getting that real life thing for you could uh, could i keep the penknife just for another day i've got some friends i'd like to show it to and if there's anything else you'd like me to find out in real life i'll try i don't bother with real life myself when i do tales but if you-oh i say are you going on with the tale now mr strange was not he was writing a telegram form it ran secure berth on any boat sailing anywhere complete nervous prostration change and rest urgent i spect i'd better go said william regretfully it's after my supper time you don't mind do you no said the young man wildly no i don't mind i'm going away myself tomorrow going away for good ''Oh, are you?'' said William sadly. ''I'm sorry. I shall miss you quite a lot. I expect you'll miss me.'' ''Oh, yes,'' answered Mr. Strange. ''I shall miss you. I hope I shall miss you.'' ''Well, don't worry about it,'' said William kindly. ''I expect you'll be coming back soon. Good-bye. And you can get on with your tale now, can't you? Now you know what he says and does in real life. Well, good-bye.'' He went briskly out of the front door. Mr. Strange drew a deep, quivering breath of relief. But not for long. Two apparitions appeared before the window coming up the drive. One the blackened and battered remains of Mr. Porter, and the other a stalwart arm of the law carrying a notebook. There was a gleam in Mr. Porter's eye. He was going to execute justice, but justice executed. There lay before him the warm fire and comfortable bedroom slippers and well-cooked dinner and glass of wine and excellent cigar and evening paper of his dreams. But Vivian's horrified gaze was drawn from them by the near vision of William's face pressed against the glass. "'I say,' called William, "'you did say I could keep that knife for a bit, didn't you?' vivian strange made a wild gesture that might have been assent or dissent or mere frenzy thanks awfully shouted william well good-bye william strolled home through the dusk he was sorry his friend was going but after all he would be able to keep all the water-creatures himself giving away water-creatures was always a great sacrifice to william anyway he'd had quite a decent day all about that tale had been interesting and exciting, and that was a jolly good cake and a jolly good penknife, and his thoughts flew off to that thrilling five minutes spent in rapt silence outside the coal house. He'd heard a lot of new words. End of chapter 13.